It's that time of year where we all collectively say, Happy Birthday, Jesus! Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six, yes, six movies, all related to just one single theme. We examine the history of the people in front of and behind the camera to make sense of how and why each movie was made. Then we discuss each one in oh so ho 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 much detail to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my magically elfin co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell, this season's theme is The War on Christmas Movies, where we are taking on six of the most cherished Christmas movies to be rerun year after year after year. This is episode four, and we are heading down the chimney with Tim Allen and a bag full of toys in 1994's The Santa Claus. In this movie, we get to see a mother and a father that shouldn't just be considering divorce, we get an already divorced couple that's doing their best to see who can make their son hate the other one even more. And when I think of bad parents and broken homes, well, there's just one person I think of. My lifelong buddy, Bo Ransdell. So let's turn this episode over to Bo as he fills our heads with visions of dancing sugar plums with the introduction to The Santa Claus. Life as it happens is a messy thing. We are walking contradictions, filled with equal urges to lift up our fellow humans and to be the star of our own personal stories. Altruism and self-interest, kindness and selfishness, they exist inside all of us. I don't mean to get all philosophical at the start of a perfectly good introduction, but if we are to examine the life of one Tim Allen, we need to understand something up front. Ain't nobody perfect. Tim Allen Dick, his given name, was born in June of 1953 in Denver, Colorado. He readily admitted that having the last name Dick contributed to his sense of humor from an early age. He was one of six kids born to Gerald and Martha Dick. Tim landed in the upper half of his siblings, but he was certainly a middle child. He had a real bond with his father from an early age. He said, I loved my father more than anything. He was a tall, strong, funny, really engaging guy. I so enjoyed his company, his smell, sensibility, sense of humor, all the fun stuff we did together. I couldn't wait for him to come home. And you know what that setup means. Tragedy ahoy! And that tragedy came in 1964, when Tim was only 11 years old. His father was on his way home from a University of Colorado football game when he was killed in an accident with a drunk driver. His father, the man Tim Allen was closest to, was suddenly gone. His mother picked up and moved the family to Detroit, Michigan, where she started up with a high school sweetheart who she would marry only a couple of years later. The Detroit suburb of Birmingham would be where Tim Allen grew into adulthood, but it was an uneasy childhood. He fell into drama and music classes early on, and he had a real knack for classical piano and shop class. Otherwise, he wasn't much of a student. He stuck around to get his diploma and went off to school at first Central Michigan University, then Western Michigan, where he would earn a bachelor's in television and radio production. Two other notable things happened during his tenure at WMU. He met his future wife, Laura Diebel, and he started making some extra money dealing in drugs. He graduated in 1976 and got a job at a sporting goods store, where he was doing pretty well. He was quick-witted and bright, and the company offered him a gig in the advertising department. So, he's got a decent job, and he's married to Laura now, but the lure of easy money, as Glenn Fry called it, kept him in the game, 
and Tim Dick was still slinging in 1978 when he and his literal partner in crime were arrested on October 2nd, 1978 at the Kalamazoo, Michigan airport by undercover narcotics officers. When he was busted, Tim Dick had almost a pound and a half of cocaine on him, or what Stephen King would call a Cujo. In between making bail in his trial, Tim was dared by friends to try his hand at stand-up. He did, and like many performers whose early life was defined by tragedy, he took to the spotlight. Unfortunately, before he could focus on his fledgling career as a funny man, Tim Dick was about to stand trial for felony drug trafficking. The state had him dead to rights, and Tim Dick was about to fall victim to minimum sentencing. He would spend the rest of his life in prison. Or, the state prosecutor said, he could give the names of others involved in the local drug scene and testify against his partner too. And Tim Dick did just that. He gave the police all the information they wanted, and he received a reduced sentence of only eight years. The judge in the trial told him he was a talented guy. Do your time, the judge said, and when you get out, make something of yourself. He pled guilty and was sent to the Federal Correctional Institute in Sandstone, Minnesota for the next two and a half years. Now, a lot of people might think Tim Allen is a real jerk for what he did to get his deal. He ratted out friends and people he had known for years in some cases, and yet he was also a 25-year-old guy who'd done well making money on the side with this drug thing. He was young, plenty stupid, and probably still managing his feelings about his earlier years. And then someone comes along and tells him he's never going to see freedom again, never going to be a father to his kids, never going to be anything but a prisoner in some penitentiary. I don't know about you, but if the choice is being in prison forever or rolling over on a few fellow drug dealers, I warn all of my drug dealing friends now, I will drop a dime on you. I'll make some stuff up if I have to. So Tim Dick is paroled in 1981, and he has taken the judge's words to heart. He wants no more prison and sets about making something of himself, using his God-given talent to grunt. Even in prison, he began to hone his talents, and upon his release, Tim Allen went home to Detroit. He worked at an ad agency during the day and would work the comedy castle at night. And it was here that Tim Allen created the Tim Allen persona, a hapless but hyper-masculine dude who loved tools and was confused by basic decorum. It was a hit, and he spent most of the decade of the 80s appearing in local commercials and work in the stand-up circuit. In 1988 and 89, he appeared on a couple of stand-up comedy specials as one of several so-called young comedians, including one hosted by Rodney Dangerfield, which is where I think I first saw him. He had spent almost a decade shaping his act, and it was a good one. It was broad and fit the times well, the testosterone-fueled man who couldn't quite wrap his head around shifting cultural norms. In 1990, Showtime gave him a half-hour special called Men Are Pigs, which was incredibly popular. It wasn't uncommon practice to give a stand-up star a shot at the television sitcom game, and make no mistake, Tim Allen was a rising star in comedy. As he was garnering acclaim for his Men Are Pigs special, he and a team of writers were already working to develop a show at the time called Hammer Time. The name was obviously changed to Home Improvement, a far less dated moniker. And Tim Allen, to his credit, came clean on his drug bust from years before ahead of the show's premiere. It certainly didn't affect his ratings as Home Improvement tied with cheers in the ratings the first year it aired and remained in the top 10 until the show ended in 1999. 
Tim Allen was big business, and it was time for Tim the Toolman to become a movie star. Which brings us to tonight's movie. The story of the Santa Claus was the brainchild of writers Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rudnick, who had spent enough time on the road as a stand-up comedy team that they were looking for something that took them away from their families less. The original title was Such a Clatter. In 1992, the film got optioned by Outlaw Productions, an indie movie company responsible for Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape. In the time between Sex, Lies, and Videotape and The Santa Claus, the company had also made a lot of duds and were looking for a high-concept film that would finally move Outlaw into the big leagues, which was not, ironically, the film Mr. Baseball, the Tom Selleck baseball movie they produce. That flopped, too. Then came The Santa Claus, the name given to such a clatter when it went out to readers, finally. Outlaw ushered the script through its rewrites, including the character of Charlie, the son, who did not exist in the original script, to smooth out the rougher edges of the snarky story. Disney owned ABC, the network that Home Improvement aired on, and they had a legitimate television star in Tim Allen, but they were eager to try him out on the big screen. This is at a time when television success was no guarantee of movie stardom, as seen with the flops produced by Bill Cosby and Roseanne Barr. And even Outlaw wasn't ready to talk to Disney about stars, though Tim Allen had by now read the script and wanted in. So he called his pal, Jeffrey Katzenberg at Disney to grease the skids on his debut. The way they greased those skids was by offering Outlaw almost a million dollars. It took a year after this deal was made to get the production rolling, a year in which the script was heavily revised. Writer Janet Brownell was brought in to add heart to the script and further shape the film from its ribald comedy roots to family holiday fare. According to her, the creative team, who was most entirely male, had produced a script that was littered with, as she put it, dick jokes. Not to mention the scene where Scott, our hero, shoots Santa before he falls off the roof and breaks his neck. It was a very different movie. Also, Disney's budget for the film would come in at around $16 million, which was really low for the type of movie being mounted. But the fact that television star was opening a Christmas movie, they also decided not to put the Disney moniker on it, instead using the Hollywood Pictures banner. The director's job fell to John Pasquin, who was a first-time feature director himself, but he had worked on Home Improvement and was highly recommended by Tim Allen, of course. Eric Lloyd plays Charlie, Wendy Crewson was brought on for the role of Tim's wife, Judge Reinhold, maybe best known for imagining Phoebe Cates naked, became the new husband and foil to Tim Allen's character, a psychiatrist named Neil. Director John Pasquin knew David Crumholds, who played Bernard the Elf, from a pilot and brought him in, along with Paige Tomata, as Judy. The filmmakers decided that the elves should all be played by children, surrounding the character of Scott, whose own child was separated from him with children. The film was shot in the midst of a heat wave, and the warehouse where much of the North Pole set was constructed was an unventilated space. It was really rough for the cast and crew, none more so than Tim Allen himself, who was often buried under latex prosthetics. With roughly four hours in the makeup chair before shooting began, and another two after shooting ended, Allen was claustrophobic and irritated to say the least. And coupled with the intense heat and long hours, he often had to be taken off the set to scream and curse so he wouldn't do it in front of the kids playing Christmas elves. Some of whom, it may be pointed out, thought he was Santa Claus. 
He was also simultaneously working on a book for Disney's publishing arm that would become Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man. You gotta get them dollars when you can, people. So the production ramps in late summer of 1994 and the film goes into post-production. Due to the modest budget, there was little time and money for visual effects. Some of the work was done with puppetry, namely the reindeer, and even only one of those, Comet, was truly articulated. Once the effects were done, it went to test screenings, and Disney issued the decree that it needed to be 90 minutes when it currently came in at a neat two hours. The word came down from Disney brass, any scene without Tim Allen in it was to be cut. Before its release, the production took another blow. Jeffrey Katzenberg, the executive who had ushered the Santa Claus through production, left Disney. Joe Roth was brought in to replace him, and he had to evaluate all these films that Jeffrey Katzenberg had greenlit to see what he liked. Roth really responded to the Santa Claus, and actually gave the film some extra money to finish off some of the special effects, and gave the film an even greater stamp of approval by allowing the movie to use the Disney logo. The final budget ended up being around $20 million instead of the original 16. The film was finally released on November 11th, 1994. A few weeks later, a remake of Miracle on 34th Street was arriving in theaters, and it was anyone's guess if Santa Claus would last in theaters until Christmas. It came in second its opening week behind Interview with the Vampire, but it had legs and continued to build an audience. While Miracle on 34th Street floundered, Santa Claus was going strong. By the week of December 7th, Tim Allen had the number one film with the Santa Claus, the number one TV show with Home Improvement, and the number one book in the nation with Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man. And the movie was on its way to making $140 million in U.S. box office alone. It was, in its own way, a Christmas miracle. But what has become of the star of our story, Tim Allen? That's where we get back to our central theme, Ain't Nobody Perfect. In 1997, Tim Allen was arrested for a DUI in Birmingham, Michigan. Just over 30 years before, his own father was killed in an incident with a drunk driver. Tim Allen, it would seem, was ever his own worst enemy. In the same year, he was in a suspicious car accident with a 70-year-old librarian, too. And yet, if Tim Allen's story is one of self-destruction, it is also one of rebirth. As part of the DUI arrest, he agreed to enter a rehab program for alcohol abuse, and by all accounts, He's been sober for over 20 years. He was never the kind of movie star that was going to win an Oscar, but Tim Allen made a career for himself in film, a lot of it the sort of family fare that Santa Claus falls into. He traded home improvement for a new television show called Last Man Standing, in which he plays, wait for it, a testosterone-fueled father in a house surrounded by women. That show was canceled by ABC and subsequently picked up by Fox Television, in a move Allen suggested was caused by his conservative political views. And while being a Trump supporter is controversial for some, Tim Allen is just being himself. Can you blame him for not changing with the times when his whole shtick was a character not changing with the times? And what of the Santa Claus itself? Is it really the little Christmas movie that could? Or is it a saccharine mess? There's only one person I trust to help answer these questions, so let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I give you the peppermint-scented holiday treat, 1994's The Santa Claus. 
Welcome back, everyone, to a brand spanking new episode of Pick 6 Movies. I am Bo Ranstell. With me, as always, the ebullient Chad Cooper. Hello, Bo. Howdy, sir. We are here in uh, the arena of battle uh, here over a film that uh, I like to call The Santa Claus. Uh, as you heard in the introduction, it is the uh, Tim Allen vehicle, hot on the heels of his success with Home Improvement. Here, here we go. He's going to be a, a big-time movie star. Uh, I've seen the, this movie a number of times. Before we get into this, uh, how many times have you seen Santa Claus? Two times. Once in the theater and once in preparation for this show. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna say right up front, I'm going to own it. Uh, I, I think this is the best of the movies we've seen so far. I don't think it's perfect by any stretch. I got a number of problems with it, Chad. Hopefully, hilarity will ensue. But I, I think it's all right. I think it works as a Christmas movie. I disagree. I, I think it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, but this is what I'm excited about is we've gotten a little <laughs> static uh, from some listeners about uh, particularly Christmas vacation. People saying maybe we're a little too nitpicky. And I'm, I say not nearly nitpicky enough, listeners. <laughs> that, that, movie's, that movie's bad. And I, it's fine that you like it. It's fine that's part of your Christmas. And I, and, and I hope you enjoy it. But... When we're alone at night and the demons come, that's when you can admit to yourself that Christmas vacation's not good. <laughs> but yeah, with with uh, the Santa Claus, I, I feel like finally there's going to be at least one voice on the show saying, you know what, uh, Santa Claus is perfectly good Christmas fare. Yeah, there's going to be one voice on the show who's going to say this movie is as awful as anything we've seen this season. <laughs> oh, sir. The, that's gonna, it's going to be my voice. It is no cringe. <laughs> you bite your tongue. Um, all right, so let's get into this. It starts with the Disney logo, which, you, as you heard in the intro, was no guarantee. And I think that's kind of interesting that it got pulled from the dregs of Hollywood pictures of like, look, this is, you know, 16 mil and a dude who has never been in a movie before. This has Hollywood pictures written all over it. <laughs> I think that's very funny. <laughs> and then we open up on a Christmas party. Uh, and Peter Boyle, you know, rest in peace. Good Lord. What a, what a great guy Peter Boyle was, uh, shows up to, uh, just to make us sad that he's, he's dead. The big reveal of this scene is we got a toy company and then Tim Allen and his partner are doing well. Like they're, they're kicking ass and taking names. They're real corporate go-getters. But his partner is a woman who's played by Judith Scott and she had a pretty amazing list of TV and movie credits. And then aside her, as you noted, is Tim the Toolman Taylor, who's playing Scott Calvin in this particular film. And they're up there taking accolades because they are the ones who are responsible for their signature toy, which is the do-it-all-for-you dolly. Not to be confused with the do-it-all-to-you dolly, which mm -hmm. is more of a Lars and the real girl type of a scenario. This yeah. is something wholly different. Or do-it-all-for-you Molly, which is the 16 Candles doll. <laughs> Do it all for you. Polly is, of course, the parrot. At this point in the movie, here's a question I have for you. What was your over-under of how quickly we were going to get the signature Tim Allen grunt in this film? Oh, it like it could happen at any second. It's all over his face the entire movie that he's just straining not to. So, yeah, you take the under on that every time. 
when Scott Calvin gets up with his female partner, they say a few words about how well the company's done. And his partner says, you know, this was a team effort. And then Scott Calvin just takes the microphone from her within like 10 seconds, which look, that's just rude behavior. I originally thought that the arc of this character was like, oh, he's going to be a real asshole to his partner, which isn't really the case. He's just trying to wrap things up to get the fuck out of there because he's got to start lying to people pretty soon. Right. And it's Christmas Eve, which who has an office Christmas party at night on Christmas Eve? It's strip clubs. Welcome to the Secret Santa stage. It's Cinnamon. Scott Calvin gets up and he says that their whole company is about making quality toys and that they're a whole big family, but our families aren't here right now. And that's why Johnson's secretary is sitting on his lap. And then we <laughs> cut to some guy in his fifties and he's partially dressed up as Santa Claus with some 20 something secretary uncomfortably sitting on his lap. And what I can only guess is a sad excuse for an erection. And my first question was, is this a children's movie? It is rated PG, which means there are some scenes in the film where parental guidance will be required mm -hmm. for adults and children. Because, you know, look, look hey, hey, kids, when the movie's over, remind me to tell you about infidelity on the drive home. It's complicated, but I think it's going to clear up a lot about me and your mom and that no good son of a bitch, new husband of hers, Trevor. It, it's a teachable moment. Let, let's get back to the movie. All right, kids, just pop down. Uh, you, you kids know what fucking is, right? Let's hop over that little nugget then and go straight to the intricacies of inner office sexual politics. I, I'll tell you what, we're going to save that for after the movie too. All right. Let's yeah, back. Just, just on the way home, make a note. Uh, if y'all need more butter on your popcorn, uh, just head back out to the lobby. <laughs> Speaking of long drives home. I like his parenting, by the way. I like that guy's parenting style. <laughs> He's going to show up a lot more. I think so. <laughs> Speaking of long drives in a car, um, Scott Calvin uh, bails out on this party and he's driving home and he's he's in his car and he's uh, talking on a mobile phone and we find out he's talking to his ex-wife and he says, hey, I'm going to be late getting uh, back to my house because the traffic's really bad, of which there is no traffic. Sure. So again, our main character, once again, Bo, is at least at this start of the movie is a liar. Yes, Spoiler, spoiler alert, he's still a liar at the end of the movie. That doesn't ever change, but that's the magic of Santa, Chad, um, <laughs> is that he gives us permission to lie. You just got to believe in the lie enough is the real moral lesson of this film. Why does it take forever for Scott Calvin to drive home? Because as this dude's headed back to his house, it pads the runtime by like a good two minutes. We see him go through some downtown and then we see him going through random neighborhoods he's taking a tour of christmas light displays if he's a man running late he's not really showing any real sense of urgency to get his ass back home i feel like this is the most confusing scene of the film because i'm still unclear as to why he was doing this very thing because he, the whole deal is he's going to pick up his son he's going to his house so why aren't you rushing like you know, it's understandable for him to be distant with his kid, but to begin the movie is like, you mean I gotta hang out with my fucking son? No thanks. That's almost irredeemable. Like if he ran over a puppy head on the way into the driveway before not wanting to look his son in the eye. When he finally gets to his home, we see his son, Charlie, looking out the back window of his mom. And let's just call him his stepdad, Judge Reinholdt's car. Uh -huh. <laughs> Charlie lets out this sigh when his dad's headlights finally show up. That sigh says everything about the relationship between this kid and his father. This kid 
hates his dad. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out pretty soon why, because he has lots of reasons to hate his father. I'll, let me tell you another reason. You're right. Just to, <laughs> just to give you a positive here, another reason that I like this movie is that this whole scene that is confusing as shit about why he's meandering home uh, to meet his son is set to Carol of the Bells, which is the most horror movie Christmas song there is. Like, if you're watching a slasher movie set at Christmas, fucking Carol of the Bells is going to show up at some point in the, in that film. Thumbs up from Bo, then, for uh, this scene. The only way this scene makes sense is if Scott Calvin is consistently turning up a fifth as he's driving home. Yeah, yeah, that was probably in the original script of, like, you know, he's having a couple of roadies before he <laughs> shows up home. Scott Calvin gets home and as he approaches his house, his his ex-wife is there with his kid. And then he kind of high steps through the snow as not to damage his expensive shoes. So he's a liar and he's materialistic. Mm -hmm. So strike two. Yeah. Scott Calvin invites his ex-wife inside for a brief moment so that they can fight in front of their child on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Every family has their holiday traditions and it would be a shame to miss a year. You know, kids are only young once for a short time. You cherish these moments when they're small because this is the point you can do the most damage and psychologically scar someone beyond repair. I remember having a conversation with my dad as he was dying and I said, hey, dad, do you remember that one Christmas where you and mom kind of got into it and she wept uncontrollably and then you guys had to go into the other room for like 45 minutes to an hour? And he was like, no, I don't remember that. I was like, I do. I remember it like it was yesterday. That's funny, the things a young man recollects. Would you like a chocolate? Pops? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of the benefit of time, right? Is that at a certain point, you forget the the awful shit that you did to children. And, you know, you're just like, yeah, I'm sure I did something fucked up. But, you know, come on, people's people. Give me the fucking chocolate already. That's called denial. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever gets you through the night, as John Lennon said. But all right, so the whole reason they're fighting in this scene is that uh, Tim Allen's kid has has come home and was like, I heard at school that there's no Santa Claus. And Judge Reinhold was like, yeah, that's totally true. Those kids are right. Also, if they called you a pansy, they're right about that, too. How do you introduce a concept like that? In a movie like this, because like when his kid comes in, first off, he points out that there aren't any presents under the tree. And I already don't like this kid now. He's like, there's no presents for me. And then his dad, Scott Calvin, whose initials are like Santa Claus, um, that they point that out later. Mm. Scott Calvin says that's because Santa Claus hasn't been there yet, which good save Scotty boy, because you know what? The Scots has got to think fast, and he better hope there's a 24-hour Walgreens or a 7-Eleven around the corner to help pad that gift count up to an acceptable level of Charlie's expectations. On his phone, Amazon Prime is open. <laughs> there's no Amazon in this movie. He's looking around. Have you ever walked into like like a really uh, questionable gas station, and you're paying for whatever products you're buying, which for me, it's usually gas and beer? You look over at Christmas time, and there's like a knockoff Barbie and a sad remote control car and a cover. And you're just like, what the hell is that doing here? And then you're like, oh yeah, it's for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a lot of toy products from the eBuzz Miller line <laughs> of, of products <laughs> for, for children you don't really care about, uh-huh. which I don't know. I didn't know this until recently. The dog in Poltergeist is named eBuzz. 
who's named after E. Buzz Miller. And I didn't, I was, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. It yeah. made me so happy. When, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's why Poltergeist is almost a perfect film. Um, <laughs> almost. Yeah. I got a couple of nitpicks with it, but uh, boy, that opening scene where the dog walks around, though, and just establishes the entire interior of that house. Oh, it's so good. Anyway. You know what's not good? The Santa Claus. Tim Allen is like, hey, what the fuck is your new husband? doing telling my kid that there's no santa claus i'd like to have a vote on that and uh she's like what did you want me to do like you're not around and blah 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 so we're establishing he's a distant father etc mom decides that she's gonna fuck off and uh because she's like look you know this gets your problem for the next 24 hours best of luck i'm gonna go fuck my new husband who pays attention to me so in this scene the mom walks over and she hugs her son, Charlie, to say their goodbyes on Christmas Eve. And this is the most heartbreaking moment in this movie. Charlie hugs his mother's neck and says in her ear, do I gotta stay? And then Charlie says to her, he wants her to pick her up the next day, right when the sun comes up uh-huh. on Christmas morning. Yeah. This is the saddest thing I've seen in any movie this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is this what is this kid seen in this house that makes him want to get out now? It's like he's spending the night in a haunted house to claim the inheritance from some eccentric uncle. Like, pick me up tomorrow right as the sun comes up. I don't want to be in this home a second longer than I have to. As soon as the door closes, Tim Allen is like, you know the door you're not supposed to open, right? He just like takes off his belt and he's like, well... Let's get this started. Like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was a beating joke, by the way. Yeah. That, I, <laughs> yes. That's how I took it. Now, now step- I take it the other way. <laughs> Great. Thanks. The new stepdad, Judge Reinhold, he's outside honking his horn to remind his wife to get her ass back outside. I just wanted to note, it is only acceptable for someone to honk a horn in a car to let someone know that they are overly impatient and need them to return immediately if they are a dog. Because when dogs do this, <laughs> it's adorable. Yeah. And you can read all about this in my new book, Canines and Cars Getting Crazy, 10 Things Dogs Do in Automobiles That Make You Smile, with a forward by Jessica Seinfeld. Oh, well done. I doubled back on that. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. I like it. I like that. That's a running gag. We have bits that we do on our uh, show. We do. It's shtick. Tim Allen only cares that his kid found out about Santa at school because it's something he didn't control. But how does a movie like this bring up the idea that there is no Santa Claus? Well, even though even though the movie pays off that that, that is the case, because look, two out of three tickets are children. Why would you introduce this idea in a movie like this? It's like if you're talking to someone and you're like, hey, have you ever thought about that uh, there might be somebody hiding in the backseat of your car at night when you get into it? You ever thought about that before? Like, well, no, but that's all I think about now. Like, you ever thought about how snakes come up in the toilet and bite you on your baby maker at night when you're taking a piss like well no but that's all i think about now like every kid who saw this movie in the theater was like this is gonna be great hey everybody there's no santa claus huh wait what oh did you what uh, 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 wait mom dad is this huh gee huh, huh. stupid movie but the movie does hang its hat on the idea of belief this is where i will be i will be defending the santa claus for about 35 seconds I cannot wait to have this debate because I believe that this this movie is is no. We we we'll 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 come to heads about this a little bit later. Ostensibly, this is a movie about the concept of belief. This is a movie about the concept of denial. Belief is where <laughs> I tell you something exists and you say I cannot prove that that is real. 
but I believe it anyway. This is a movie about saying, hey, here's something that's real. And the main character is like, you know what? I don't know if that's actually true. What do you mean? Everything around you is is saying otherwise. Mm, yeah, is it really? Yeah, it is, shithead. You're fucking Santa Claus. Right, but then, am I really? The, then his kid uses his Twilight Zone Billy Moomy power on him. Anyway, we'll get to all that. <laughs> Tim Allen, because he's a shitty father, is like scrambling to figure out what to feed his kid on Christmas Eve and is going to make a turkey on Christmas Eve. Like, turkey is not a spur of the moment cooking enterprise can i tell you what you feed what you feed kids you feed them chicken nuggets and cheese pizza yeah that's it cut up hot dogs and macaroni and cheese done and done turkey and arugula and shit like that you're a horrible father healthy food next thing you know he's putting out a fire he takes his kid to a restaurant where we get some denny's product placement and one thing i actually like in this uh in this scene is that he, when they go to uh the Denny's they're taken to a room and it's just a bunch of single dads with their kids who have are clearly in the same boat of I've made so many bad decisions so many times along the way with this kid that this is where we are Denny's on a Christmas Eve you found this entertaining I did I I like dark shit uh, you and I are very <laughs> different people <laughs> It didn't make me feel good. I just enjoyed it for uh, for it being this kind of dark little idea of like, oh, this is the bottom of the barrel for single dads. Is this this little alcove at a Denny's? Uh, well, and then and then Charlie sits down and he, he's like, "Tell the waitress what you want to drink." And Charlie says, "Can I have chocolate milk?" And she says, "We're out of chocolate milk." And then Charlie says, "Plain milk's fine." This movie is just sad. Uh huh. Yeah, it is. It's my kind of Christmas movie, Chad. I can see why you like this movie. This is why I hate it. It's just, it's depressing and awful and full of lies. Every time Charlie is on the verge of tears, I'm engaged. I'm into this movie. (laughs) And it happens a lot because this kid is shit on every direction. After they leave Denny's, they go back to the house and Scott's reading The Night Before Christmas. And his kid has his eyes closed and is apparently asleep. So Scott just decides to half-ass his way through the story and just like skips to the end. And then as Scott leaves the room, his kid calls him out on his bad fathering (laughs) by loudly asking, what is Rose shuck a ladder? And Scott explains, oh, it's a rose such a clatter. And then he explains that clatter is a loud noise. So in this scene, Charlie was pretending to be asleep and he heard his dad not give two shits when reading the story. Mm -hmm. And Charlie was just pretending to sleep. Because, you know, he was pretending, or as adults call it, lying, or as children call it, having an imagination and pretending. Um, I think his dad is proud of his son for being a liar. Yeah, no, this is another family of grifters that we're dealing with on this show, (laughs) where everybody's (laughs) looking for the angles. Charlie goes on and he asks a bunch of kid logic questions about Santa, and then Scott gives him a bunch of bullshit adult answers that are just a euphemism for shut up and go to sleep. Uh, Charlie asks his dad if he believes in Santa, and Scott says, of course I do. In the most insincere way possible because remember scott's a liar right. we've already established right that. he's a rightfully a terrible person at the beginning of this movie because they're unlike some of the films we have seen this season good or bad there is an arc to this character that begins at terrible and ends at at least in this movie's skewed worldview he is now a positive character so yeah he's a real shit heel in these scenes when he's just like i don't know kid i don't know something about santa and sleighs and shit 
I got a date with Jim Beam, so I got an 86 skidoo. But his kid is like, hey, well, you know, now that I'm at least pretending to believe you, because what's the harm in that? And if I know you're insincere and you don't know I, I know you're insincere, then maybe I got some leverage because the kid is working the angles. And he's like, hey, leave out some milk and cookies. Or don't you believe in Santa, you lying little fuck? And he's like, no, 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 milk and cookies. I'll go preheat the oven, which is probably still rotten with the stench of turkey so the stench of turkey and and the the carcinogens of a fire extinguisher that he was blasting in there earlier he ain't making no cookies he's gonna run down to 7-eleven and grab a six-pack and maybe some mrs fields some hostess cupcakes and a pint of whole milk cafeteria style you get fucking santa i'll be drunk enough that that looks good in about two hours <laughs> they both go to sleep and then the kid wakes up and uh he hears a sound up on the roof and he runs into his dad room. He's like dad dad i heard a clatter because you know what kids pay attention to shit I know this firsthand. You think all those like whispered hallway fight, you know, sessions that you have in the, the still of the night go unheeded. Well, think again. Scott gets up and goes outside to investigate and he goes out on his front lawn in a real state of who the hell is up on my house. And he rushes outside in the snow and he's wearing boots and boxer shorts, a t-shirt and a parka. And look, man, nobody is going to go out in the cold snow dress like that unless it is to buy drugs. <laughs> Cla- excuse you know, clarification to buy more drugs right that underwear is going to be real soil too <laughs> yeah that, like and, that is a character straight out of the wire it's here that scott commits manslaughter by yelling at santa claus and scaring him so that he falls off the roof to his death i feel like this is on santa claus here at some point in the history of Santa Claus, somebody else must have just been like, you know, hey, what's that on my roof? Run outside, man, like, hey, fatty on my roof, what's up? Kids, all, uh, on the way home, <laughs> remind me to explain to you how we are all going to die someday, which includes me and your mom and her no good son of a bitch, new husband, all your friends, our dog, and most assuredly in the next year, grandma. And let's be honest, eventually you're going to die. You know, it's, it's just, it's a part of the whole circle of life. It's like the Lion King, but it's more real. But uh, life's funny. Let's get back to the movie here. I'll, I'll tell you, the, the real ending of the story of all of this is a heat death of the universe, you see. So that nothing anyone ever does really matters because it'll all end. So I'll tell you, I'm getting too in the weeds with this. Let's just watch the movie. (laughs) Charlie comes outside (laughs) and tells his dad, it's Santa. You killed him. How could a child's Christmas get any worse at this point? His divorced parents were fighting. You hear your dad say that there's no Santa Claus. The tree has very few presents under it. They eat Christmas dinner at Denny's. There's no chocolate milk. Dad cheats you out of a reading of the night before Christmas And then you find out that there really is a Santa Claus because your father was instrumental in his death. I'll tell you how I can one-up that. You watch your father pat Santa's dead body looking for ID. So one of my favorite <laughs> moments of the movie is when, when Tim Allen says, if you can hear me, I'm just looking for ID. <laughs> Let's find out who just died in my on my lawn. Well, he goes back to examine the corpse, which has moved from mostly dead to partially dead. On the the verge of being all dead, because, you know, with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. 
which is search the clothes for loose change. Well done. <laughs> but instead of ID, he finds a card with instructions to put on the suit. This is where they see, you know, it says like, hey, put on the suit and the reindeer and get in the sleigh and the reindeer will, will do the rest. Do you think Santa voided his bowels when he died? Yeah, we all do, Chad. Well, see, kids, what happens is when you die, every muscle in your body releases. And and that includes your sphincter. Now I know you're not thinking all the time about keeping that little little pucker tight, but you are. That's a, a, a an unconscious impulse. So when you die, that muscle opens up, and it's true you will just shit yourself at the moment of death, so that you're you can be assured there's no dignity in it. Is the point? So uh, back back to the movie. <laughs> if you ever if you ever get to a point where uh, depression takes you to the point of suicide. Uh, I highly recommend giving yourself an enema prior to the final send off. But you know what? That's another conversation. Let's get back to the the Santa Claus because Tim Allen is a treasure. You know, just do it in the tub, kids. But uh, uh, just put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll get get back to Tim the Tool Man Taylor up here being a fool. Charlie tells his dad to put on the suit and then Scott tells him to be quiet. And Charlie says, you never do what I want to do. Scott ups the, the be quiet ante to a level of shut up uh, <laughs> as he's, as he's walking around and then he bumps his head into this magical ladder that appears from nowhere. And on it, it says the Rose Shuka ladder company. And then here, Tim Allen peppers in a, huh? yeah. and the fuse is lit until we get that full-on grunt that the audience desperately wants. It's like being at a Jimmy Buffett concert and hearing him say, This place looks like paradise, and I'm getting hungry. I think we're in shark-infested waters. Right, right, parrot heads? I think it's time to book a flight to Paris. Let's slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm i'm ready for a change in latitude what? like what <laughs> but that is that is every jimmy buffett concert oh my god uh i know because i've been to a bunch like i'm not throwing stones you know as well as i do you and i both have been on the lawn at starwood Fans to the left. I think this volcano's gonna blow. Right. Oh my god! <laughs> Charlie heads up onto the roof uh, via this ladder, and then Scott follows with this Santa suited hand. And once they're up on top, um, we see the reindeer, and then a reindeer farts because it's a kids movie after all. These reindeer look like they're part of a Chuck E. Cheese seasonal Christmas overlay. It's a real, hey kids, it's Rodney Reindeer here to spread some Christmas cheer moment. Um, you noted how only one of these was really, you know, given any dough to make it look like a real reindeer, which, you know, swing what, and a miss. What, one thing that I have to point out, well, like as I was doing some research, I watched this like, you know, behind the scenes on the Santa Claus uh, documentary thing. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you suffer for art. And one of the things that was pretty funny was the special effects guys going like, we didn't want to make real reindeer or, or like replicas of reindeer because real reindeer are ugly. And we didn't want a bunch of ugly deer in our movie. So these are more like, you know, any name, some other kind of deer. But he was like, yeah, no, take a look at a reindeer sometime. They're God awful. <laughs> See, now, kids, what he's saying there is that all of youth is an illusion, ultimately. But uh, I, I, you know what? Let's get back to the movie. <laughs> 
Charlie climbs in the sleigh and then Scott tells him, Hey, get out. And Charlie says, no. And then Scott climbs in the sleigh to, you know, yank his kid out or whatever. And then he's like, Charlie, let's go. Uh And then the reindeer take off and Scott and Charlie are still in the sleigh and then they fly around and then they come alongside this big, like, like delivery van or something. And it's in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. And my first thought was that this van was full of sad prostitutes on their way to visit lonely men living in their mom's basement. Oh, my God. And also, yeah. <laughs> Scott pulls alongside this delivery guy and he starts asking for directions on I-94, which why is he doing this? Is he trying to make it look like that they're just normal weirdos on Christmas Eve driving around in a flying sleigh pulled by reindeer? <laughs> right. He, he's basically trying to get the Air Force called out. <laughs> so they take a Viper Mark III up the pooper. Not sure what the name of missiles are, actually. All the outfits of secondary, tertiary, and who gives a shit characters in this movie are all red and green. Throughout the, even the kind of act two where it doesn't take place at Christmas at all, everyone is constantly wearing red and green clothing, including the driver of this van. I like the fact this is unabashedly a Christmas movie. That is the thing I actually like about this, that it's just like, fuck you, red, green, and tinsel, love it. And I, I'm kind of okay with that. Like it, it, you know, unlike any of the other movies we've, we've watched this season, uh, maybe the Grinch is... Uh, um, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to give it any kind of credit. But, it, like, this is the most just dipped in Christmas uh, holiday spirit kind of shenanigans. It has kind of a Christmas Carol quality to it. And I don't mean it's nearly that good. Don't get me wrong. My defense of this movie only goes so far. But... Oh, don't worry. I, I wasn't confused by your statement. <laughs> but but there is that thing of like, no, no, no. This is totally about the belief in in the the Christmas spirit. That is all the it, like. It could be a Hallmark movie for that matter. And I can appreciate on a certain level a movie that's like, this is what we are. This is what we do. This is what we're here to accomplish. And we are going right down the middle. And uh, and I, I think that's to this movie's credit. But uh, not to this movie's credit, Chad, when we talk about these reindeer flying around, holy God in heaven, those special effects have not held up well at all. That looks like it looks like they were all done by like Mrs. Johnson's third grade computer class. It looks like garbage. And all of the effects, like when he goes in a second, when we see him go down the chimney, that looks like shit. And like any time there's a visual effect in this movie, just avert your eyes. It it all looks terrible. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. It it does not hold up well. Um, but speaking of going down a chimney, like they they land on a roof, and the kid is like, "Hey, Dad, go down the chimney." And he's like, "Why don't you shut the fuck up?" Like I'm dealing with a lot of shit right now. Like I'm in a sleigh that flew around via reindeer. I got some things to process. He's a terrible dad. Oh yeah. But so he puts the suit on to shut his kid up ultimately. And then he grabs a a bag and he's like, look, there aren't even presents in here. And then one time he picks it up and there are presents now magically. And the, the bag starts to float, pulls him up out of the sleigh. And then he goes down the chimney feet first via squooshing effects, uh, courtesy of, you know, a MacBook, And, uh, and that's it. That, that is the, the story of uh, how Santa gets down a chimney is that his bag floats uh, him to the uh, the top of the chimney and then shrinks him not into a tiny Santa, but just one segment at a time. 
and one assumes yeah. he slithers through that small space, much like the uh, X-Files episode where there was the cannibal that would come get you through the pipes. Well, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm going to have bad dreams now. I, I like the idea. Uh, Tombs was the, the character's name. I like the idea that there's a little Santa Tombs crossover of like, you know, they run into each other in a sewer system or something. Maybe with some chuds and some Ninja Turtles and some uh, exploding Uncle Mafia cigars. I, that's um, the Ready Player One I want to see. Inside the house, a Rottweiler shows up and barks at Scott as he's delivering presents. And Scott escapes up the chimney as the dog chases him away. And in movies, scary breeds of dogs went from Dobermans in the 70s. And then we had German Shepherds in the 80s. Then it was Rottweilers in the 90s and then Pitbulls in the 2000s. Mm. And you can read all about that in my latest book, Decades of Dastardly Dogs, Scary <laughs> Hounds for All Ages, Fords, with a Ford by Benicio Del Toro. Oh, well done. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love those gags. I, I'm embarrassed I don't have one. Um, Scott, and, Scott and Charlie take off into the sky and they land directly on another mansion rooftop across the street. These houses are ridiculously huge. And then we we see, you know, Santa go back inside via some sort of like weird chimney vent or something. And he gets inside and it's this rich people's house. And there's this little girl sleeping on the couch waiting for Santa. And the little girl calls out Scott for not being fat and not having a beard. And then Scott proceeds to give her a tall glass of shut the hell up kid it's great he threatens to take all the presents from the house at one point he also makes a lactose intolerance joke which that joke is never funny mm. ever i've heard this joke in numerous films it's not funny at all how about this you know here's how you rewrite this this joke you say hey kid i can't drink milk it gives me the shits uh-huh that's funnier and it fits this scene where he's just like Shut up. Shut the fuck up right now. Listen, kid, you want to ever see another Christmas? Just shut up. Roll over. I don't don't look at me. Roll over. He like he's nasty to this kid. It's great. And then like there's a whole montage where there's like, <laughs> you know, him with a kayak and knocking a tree over. One of my favorite moments, though, is like right after the, the first house he busts into to leave presents when he gets out and like you hear the guy downstairs, the owner of the house, like, hey, who's up on the roof? And he's just like, cheese it. It's the cops. That's <laughs> that's the kind of Santa I want. You know, the one that's constantly on the run from the law. Johnny Law, you know, the Dukes of Hazard of, of Christmas movies. Scott is flying in the air with his son through this whole montage of them delivering presents. And then Scott looks around and he notices that his son is missing. And he's like, oh, shit, what the fuck? And then he looks in the back and he sees this kid inexplicably kissing a yellow Labrador puppy. Uh -huh. And it's just like, oh, he's got a puppy. Yo, <laughs> it's like, go to hell. You know why this is horrifying <laughs> and why I love it simultaneously so this puppy presumably came out of the bag. Now, mm -hmm. the bag is just some magical who's-its where presents appear. Is this even a real puppy? This is like an immaculate no. conception puppy. Is it a robot puppy? <laughs> is it a synthetic puppy? Is it a clone puppy? If As soon as you start put, pulling living things out of this bag, you are opening a Pandora's box of questions about what's at the bottom of that bag. Is it God? Is God making puppies? Dear Santa, this year for Christmas, I would like a baby brother. 
My mother was going to have a baby earlier this year, but something happened, and the baby decided that it didn't want to show up right now, and I thought that would make my mom happy. Sincerely, Cindy, the big sister. Ho, ho, ho. Here's a baby. It has no soul. Right. Hello, mother. (laughs) I'll stop spinning my head when you give me what I want to eat. I said mashed potatoes. (laughs) How can you talk, baby? You're only six months old. I am eternal. So finally the sun is coming up and Scott is really proud of himself for completing all of his Santa duties and we're kind of done and it's at 26 minutes, 46 seconds into this movie that we get Tim Allen blending his signature catchphrase and Santa's signature laugh and he grunts out. (laughs) Yeah. And I felt dirty. Yeah. The kind of dirty that no shower can wash away. The kind of dirty that just makes your flesh crawl. It was just, it was haunting. Yeah. It's like earlier in the movie when they make a joke about the Disney Channel and this (laughs) Disney movie. Where you're just like, ugh. Ugh. And, you know, and my, (laughs) my note here is like, if Tim Allen weren't the main character of this movie it would be measurably better. Like, he's the worst thing about it, in my opinion. You know who would have been? Dom DeLuise Michael been Keaton, good. obviously. Michael Keaton would have been fantastic. He would have been a better, yes, he would have been a better choice, but he's a better choice in almost every scenario, as we've learned. <laughs> Michael Keaton's a better choice in pretty much any movie ever. Except The Dead Zone. And Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Clean and sober. <laughs> They should put Tim Allen in Clean and Sober. I got this chip. <laughs> we we need you to pee in this cup. Oh? <laughs> you know he tests positive for cocaine. Zing. He tests positive for everything. <laughs> uh, Mr. Allen, your results are back. And the answers are yes. Yeah, you're what we call a real Keith Richards around here. That means you get your own room. You get your own wing. And a- <laughs> the Tim Allen suit to be memorial wing. Scott and Charlie fly back to the North Pole in the sleigh. And then a, some miniature Vulcan comes out pretending to be an elf. And he oh, lowers fuck. the sleigh into this underground like Santa lair. And the keypad code is uh, 1239, which... I think that this code is in reference to December 1939, which was when Montgomery Ward published the book Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or maybe the code was just going to be 1234 and they were just, it, that was too easy to crack. So they right. were like, you know what, make it 1239. Right. I, it's it's clever. <laughs> it's it's hiding in plain sight, you know, like you try 1234 as a goof. It's like, well, that ain't it. So let's get to work. <laughs> you know, you mentioned in the setup that all of the elves are kids. Uh-huh. But in this scene, whenever you're doing a, a Santa elf movie, you essentially have three choices. Either number one, you have adults who you have to just pay. not very well, well, but they're also not very tall, uh-huh. <laughs> which we're going to deal with in the season finale. <laughs> number two, you can use adults that are officially little people or dwarves. But the number of those individuals working and then they're under three feet tall is, is pretty limited. Or in this case, you use actual children. And none of those scenarios are very good. Kids in particular are problematic. Uh, one of the things that they dealt with on the set. Sorry, I don't mean to interject. 
you know, <laughs> the story of the movie into our, our jokey jokes. But they because they were kids of varying ages, there were restrictions on how long the kids could be on set. So they basically had kids coming on in shifts. So they would be like, all right, we're like all the zero to four year olds or whatever the fuck are going to be here from noon to two. Because that's all they can be here. And then the older kids like David Krumholtz, who plays Bernard, uh, who we'll get to in just a second, was older, obviously, and, and could be there like throughout the day. But it was it, like one of those things where it just seems the actual execution of something like this is a logistical kind of nightmare to do it with kids. I think that little people would have been more expensive because you don't have to pay kids as much. Uh, unless they got real money grubbing, you know, Culkin like parents. Uh, but other than that, you know, kids are kind of a nightmare. It, it was the worst choice, unless you decide to cast all the elves as dogs. Would have been worse. That that would have been good. It would have been awesome. I did like it when Scott and Charlie come into the Santa lair, and then all of the children elves rush over to see who the hell is this guy. Uh huh. It's like where the hell is Santa? Who did you kill Santa? We got a new Santa, people. He murdered him. Put on the jacket. Time to train a new boss. Yeah. Well, and Bernard is a real, you know, consigliere type where he comes oh, up. Oh, he's two feet taller than every other elf in this whole setup. Right. And he's just like, hey, who the fuck is this? A fucking new Santa. <laughs> oh, boy. like I got time for that. Oh, And just immediately starts giving Tim Allen a hard time. About like, look, you picked up the suit. Here's you signed a fucking contract right here. Look at it, you fucking mook. You signed a fucking contract. <laughs> you put on the suit. Could an, could an elf kill Santa and just become Santa? I mean, they're doing all the work. They're running the show. He's essentially a figurehead in this movie. Could Bernard just pull out, I don't know, a gun, shoot him in the head and be like, hey, everybody, guess what? Look who's Santa. It's me. <laughs> uh- <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like Bernard's the kind of elf that likes to climb up on the cross a little bit and talk about how hard it is uh, to run the workshop, but doesn't really want the responsibility of being Santa, you know? I don't know. I see. I think Bernard runs the show and he, he just doesn't have the title or the power or the respect because more elves mean more toys. More toys mean more business. More business means more money. More money's more power. <laughs> Speed is important to business and time is money. But you said opium was money and money is money. Then what is time again? Yeah. It's the funniest scene in Volunteers. It's the only <laughs> thing worthwhile in Volunteers. <laughs> if I can shoehorn a joke into our conversations, I will do it. I have a sledgehammer. I have <laughs> I have many different instruments at my disposal to jam a reference into the conversation. Oh yeah. And I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, well hold my beer. So Bernard <laughs> gives Charlie a pretty kick-ass snow globe, which are words that don't go together. And he's like, hey, who's this over here? Look at this little motherfucker right here. Look, your father and I need to <laughs> I'm sorry, I've had this voice in my head for like a week. Your, fa- <laughs> Your father and I need to talk a little bit, okay? Why don't you go off with some of the other fucking elves here? All right, thanks, uh, thanks, Charlie. Get get the fuck out of here. Uh, 
Mr. Santa Claus, can I have a word with you for a second? You don't seem to be getting with the fucking program, and that's a real problem for Bernard, all right? I like that Bernard is wearing this beret that looks like one of those Rastafarian hats that you would win at a carnival or buy at a perpetual 25% off sale discount rack at Spencer Gifts. I took it more as like one of the, the personal guards of Mussolini. Scott, Scott keeps getting Bernard's name wrong. He calls him Barnaby and Bernice uh, or some other insulting version of a B name. And look, I expect that kind of behavior from your Frank Shirley's, but not from your Scott Calvin's. Yeah. Also, let's not gloss over the moment here. Whereas Bernard is taking him around the workshop, uh, Tim Allen picks up a tool belt, places it mm. against his, his waist, and then sh- and then kind of shakes his head like, nah. And I was like, oh, aren't we the cleverest, most specialist movie Santa Claus? Oh, we're having such you know, a good year, time. You know, this year, I turned 40. <laughs> and I kind of thought, I feel like a pirate. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> oh, here we are in Alabama. I think I see some stars falling. Does he realize he's in New Jersey? I don't think it, it doesn't matter. No. Does just, it? No, it doesn't. Don't tell him. No, he doesn't know. And don't you ever. I'm, listen to me. Don't you ever tell him. <laughs> what the hell's going on at this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tim Allen's like, hey, what if I just don't get with the program? Like, what if I don't do this? And he's like, you want to be responsible for killing Christmas, you motherfucker? Because that's where you're headed. And yeah, I noted, but I noted this earlier. This movie isn't about believing versus not believing. Because in the the reality of this movie, all this shit is real. Yes. It is not a matter of do you believe or not. If you choose to not believe, that's just denial. That is something completely different. I, I, I guess that if Scott doesn't believe what in himself, then Christmas ends or something. And just look, for the record, no holiday in the history of ever has consistently found itself in more peril of not happening than Christmas. Well, it's like the Tulpa, as David Lynch made famous um, in season three of Twin Peaks, Chad. (laughs) It's the idea that a thing can exist simply because it is believed in enough. And so if Santa Claus doesn't deliver gifts to the children of the world next Christmas, then they will stop believing and therefore the North Pole will vanish. Presumably the elves will die screaming. That is my uh, understanding, the implicit nature of Bernard's warning. And so, yes, he would be responsible for the end of Christmas and joy and happiness everywhere. In Santa's bedroom, there's this puppet theater that appears to be a 24-hour-a-day Punch and Judy puppet show that's going on. (laughs) Right, he walked into hell. Those poor, poor puppeteers. Could you imagine just being under there doing that shit nonstop all day long? Um, And it's here that we get to meet Judy the Elf. And she shows up to help Scott and his kid Charlie settle in for their night of sleep. And then Judy is in reality maybe an eight-year-old actress. Yes, Paige Tomata is Judy. Yeah, Judy the Elf gives Scott some silk pajamas with the monogram SC on them uh, for Santa Claus and his name's Scott Calvin. When Judy comes back, there's a bunch of elves peeking into Santa's bedroom where Scott has previously changed clothes. So pervert. Um, <laughs> I mean, they've been around for hundreds of years, Shad. It's like, oh, we get to see somebody new naked now. 
We've all seen each other. <laughs> Judy the elf comes in and she brings him some cocoa. And for look, I prefer hot chocolate. I don't like cocoa as a you know mm-hmm. label. And she says it's her own recipe and that she's been making it for 1,200 years. So like, oh, she's, you know, been around for for many, many uh, centuries. And then Scott tells Judy the elf, you look good for your age. And then Judy takes this as a come on and says, thanks, but I'm seeing someone in rapping. If Judy the elf wasn't seeing someone in rapping, would she be open to having sex with Scott? I mean, Santa? Yeah, I'm sure she'd be open to it. Why not? From her point of view, he's a much younger man. It's like the equivalent of dating an 18-year-old, you know? (laughs) Would it be worse if these two hooked up, you know, considering her age? I mean, she's a 1,200-year-old woman, and he's, what, 40? I mean, I realize age ain't nothing but a number, but look, you know, unless you're under 18, that's a felony. Which, by the way, kids, on the way home, remind (laughs) me to explain adult relationships and the appropriate and inappropriate ages for older men to date younger women. Sneak peek, men can be as old as they want. Women just need to be at least 17 with parental consent, at least stateside. International laws, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Let's get back to this movie. I love that bit with the tool belt. (laughs) is a hoot like judy the the uncomfortably mature elf (laughs) (laughs) i've never heard that before but she is in this scene she you know when she says like oh i'm dating you know an elf in rapping it's like ugh, that is an unpleasant whiff of pedophilia i didn't need (laughs) in the santa claus wait on on her part or his part well it this is why I'm a terrible person, Chad. Because it's it's really on neither part. It's just <laughs> it's because if you normalize those numbers, she's like you know, like if she if you, if you break that down, like you know, okay, so she's you know fifty eight, then he's two or one, R- right? She's the she's she's robbing the cradle. But in reality, Chad, it's a forty year old actor. <laughs> <laughs> and a seven-year-old girl and i i know that this movie is all about believe it till you see it but i'm willing unwilling to take the leap <laughs> to you know <laughs> catholic church town we cut back over and charlie is asleep excuse me he's pretending to be asleep remember He's his lying father's son. So it's here that Scott and Judy the Elf have this frank discussion about how Scott doesn't believe in Santa Claus and how Santa is not real, even though everything around him clearly stands to the contrary. Scott even goes so far to say, I see it, but I don't believe it. Which, what kind of logic is that? I'm good with the idea of believing in something that you cannot see, but believing in something that you can see doesn't make any sense at all santa's a climate change denier in my opinion <laughs> and he's a big conspiracy theorist well which you know thank god thank god the internet wasn't around at this moment because santa scott would be you know spending 11 months of the year trolling around on 4chan <laughs> yeah talk about who's being naughty i mean <laughs> see north pole says you should hear what kieran and you in salt lake city is doing 
with a carrot, a jar of Vaseline, and a get well card. How did you know my username? Wait, what? Oh my god. <laughs> SC North Pole says that Diana death was a conspiracy. We cut to Scott, and he's magically back in his house, and he's wearing his silk pajamas that he got from the North Pole. And then his kid is downstairs ripping open presents all by himself, which, you know jerk um and as sure as her word charlie's mother shows up at daybreak to rescue her child from the nightmare that is his father's house and it's here that charlie tells his mom all about their whole evening of going to the north pole the mom doesn't believe uh charlie because kids are mostly stupid and they make shit up all the time or as they call it using their imagination Charlie leaves with his mom and stepdad, Judge Reinhold, leaving Scott to spend Christmas Day alone, which that had to be a pretty sad day for the new Santa Claus, all alone on Christmas. You know what? Maybe he could call that guy in the van, you know, from earlier to provide some female companionship that probably had a limited English vocabulary. Maybe. I I think he spends a lot of his time that day uh, thinking about how snitches get stitches. And how Charlie was spouting off all the way to Neil about going to the North Pole the night before. The next thing we cut to Charlie and he's in school and it's what? A few weeks later, I guess. I don't know. Who cares? And Charlie's teacher is SNL alumni Mary Gross and she's wearing a red dress. It's career day at Charlie's school and it starts off with a firefighter talking about his friend being burned alive. I look. This, I like this joke, as we've established. Anytime someone is talking about death and mayhem in this movie, I'm happy guy. <laughs> and her joke, I, the exact quote is, I think I speak for the class when I say, sorry about your partner. I think that's a funny line. <laughs> I can see how you like this movie. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Everyone else, it's awful. Sure, I've been <laughs> fuck them, Chad. I'm looking for a good time for me. <laughs> During this career day, Charlie's there and his mom is there and stepdad Judge Reinhold and Scott's there, which three parents on the same day, look, that's overkill for any kid. And then Scott gets up and Charlie goes on and on about how his dad is Santa Claus. And I just want to know, in the background, there's some guy wearing like a 1969 astronaut suit and then uh, there's a ballerina and there's some construction worker and it's just, it's just kind of stupid. The <laughs> majority of the kids in this classroom are all wearing red and green clothes just to keep reminding us that it's a Christmas movie. And because Charlie's like, my dad's Santa Claus, all the parents have to go to the principal's office where they proceed to put each other down and try to one up each other with embarrassing behavior. And then there's more discussion as to whether he's Santa Claus or not. And even more importantly, there's more discussion as to whether or not Santa Claus is real, because guess what? Please stop. There are young children in the theater. Will you please quit talking about whether or not Santa Claus is real and why you should or should not believe in Santa Claus. Well, and they finally tell Tim Allen, like, you need to sit Charlie down and, and calm his shit out because he is doing nothing but spouting off about Santa. And so Tim goes to Charlie and, and insists, hey, like, I'm not Santa Claus. You understand that, right? Scott goes to Charlie. Oh, what did I say? Tim. Okay. I'm just saying... <laughs> Sorry. I know they're interchanging. Yeah, whatever. So Scott goes to to Santa. No. Scott goes to Charlie. (laughs) Tim goes to Santa. Charlie, uh, and anyway, but Charlie's like, no, you are absolutely Santa. And then they're having this discussion just kind of walking along the street. And Tim Allen is like, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not Santa Claus. And then Charlie gives a little chuckle, a little knowing wink, a little sly smile. Tim's like, what are you so giddy about he's like nothing dad and then behind him 
uh, are a bunch of reindeer just following him and a guy chasing the reindeer like, hey, we had a petting zoo or something, I suppose. And, you know, so the, like the movie never budges on the like the movie is always telling you, yes, he is Santa Claus. It's just that Scott is in denial. That's putting it mildly. When he finally turns around and he's like, you know what? Huh? I'm really Santa Claus. It's just, it's like, we, it, it's in the last two minutes of the film, but we'll, we'll get to that. It, I do like the fact that the kids are the smart ones in this movie. Like Charlie knows you know what's what? going on. I, I kind of like that. When you say the smart ones, you're, that's, that is a stretch. <laughs> well, I'm saying um, he is a, an average intelligence child. Everyone else in the movie is uh <laughs> like has spent like 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 more than 10 minutes at the bottom of a swimming pool right has had a really tough 107 degree fever <laughs> that just left them changed chad they were just weren't ever the same the mom catches charlie pretending to be santa claus in his bedroom and i don't know it's like weeks or months past christmas this movie in act two does not do a very good job of the passage of time mm. and she's kind of worried about her kid being a weirdo because you know he has an imagination he's a child and he shouldn't be doing things that are fun and unconventional but whatever um and suddenly now it's springtime and scott shows up at his ex-wife's house and he's in a green sweatshirt and she's in a red sweatshirt um and he's there to pick up charlie and inside judge reinhold is giving charlie a bunch of questions about you know what santa does and kind of adult logic and then that meets some kid logic and judge reinhold asks charlie he's like hey have you ever seen a reindeer fly because he has and then charlie schools him and says he ever seen a million bucks well no well that doesn't mean it doesn't exist you dumbass which i didn't know if that was a burn against his stepdad being broke or just a kid checking this adult with some real verbal tai chi um i think it could be the, the conflict <laughs> the conflict at this point in the movie is that Charlie is really jazzed up that his dad is now Santa Claus and all the other adults think he's, you know, kind of, you know, not on the up and up. Santa Scott at this point takes Charlie to this park and says, hey, Charlie, look, I need to tell you something. There's no Santa Like, what? Why would you even, like, go up to that line? There are children in the theater. Please stop doing this. And he, when he gets to that point of like, hey, Charlie, I need to tell you something. There, there, there's no such thing as a Santa. I mean, there's no reason to tell people about our trip to the North Pole. Yeah. Every kid in the theater is looking at each other like, well, what was he, he going to say? Because clearly he backed off that. I think he was going to say there's no Santa Claus. Wait, what? Yeah. And you know what else I heard? What? When you sleep at night, roaches and spiders lay eggs in your mouth. What the fuck are you talking about? Really? Oh my God. Yeah. You know, like, and, and all your dead relatives hang around and watch you do all crazy stuff during the day. Like even when you're in the shower. Oh my God. Oh my God. Is this what it's like to be an adult? You just have these uncontrollable anxieties of things that don't really exist. And you just think about it all the time. Oh my God, I'm seven. I can't believe this. This is horrible. The Santa Claus is awful. <laughs> yeah, but it uncovers a layer of neurosis I really like. So uh, at one point, like Tim Allen uh, like offers him uh, five bucks to keep the whole thing quiet. And then the next thing we know, he's waking up all fat and bearded, I guess. You know what? You glossed over that. He tells Charlie, hey, man, keep this stuff quiet. And here's money. I'm going to bribe you. Why would you introduce that into this movie? <laughs> introduce it? I feel like we have been looking at the angles all along and finally Tim Allen's like, look, let's just cut the bullshit. All right. No bullshit and a bullshitter here, son. Hey kids uh, on the way home. Remind me to tell you the importance of greasing the wheels of social contracts. 
Life lesson. Money talks, bullshit walks. You wonder how far them reindeer followed him in that zoo when they were going after him earlier. That is funny stuff, a reindeer following a man who's Santa Claus. Let's finish this movie. I want to see how this wraps up. Now, now, kids, There, once upon a time, there was something called Teamsters. And the real moral lesson of that is if you slide an envelope fat with bills of unusual denominations and non-sequential numbers, you are going to get that uh, that permit. Uh, that is just a lesson to kind of tuck away for when you start your careers in construction eventually. But it, it, you just uh, sit back and enjoy the rest of the movie. I'm having myself a real peach <laughs> of a time. This is supposed to be a nice father and son moment. And they just introduce bribery. He could have just said, hey, buddy, let's keep this between you and me. Okay, dad, you have a nice bond between father and son. It's like, hey, buddy, let's keep this between you and me. And you know what? Here's a fin. Like, what? As you noted earlier, we cut to Scott getting up in the morning where he's starting to get fat. And he goes in the bathroom and he's got a belly and he's wearing these red checker pajamas. And he gets on the scale and he weighs a whopping 192 pounds. You know what? I wish. I haven't weighed 192 pounds since high school. How is that considered fat? Scott goes into his office and he's wearing gray sweatpants. And then he explains this away by saying that his dry cleaner burned down and that he was stung by a bunch of bees. That's a callback to the last episode, which is some quick thinking on Scott's part. Uh, because remember, he is a professional liar. Please don't try this at home. And uh, all his coworkers are sitting around this boardroom table and then everyone orders a light lunch and Scott orders nothing but desserts because he's getting fat. And the people just look at him with disgust because this was a point in the world where you could legitimately fat shame people. He essentially says, you're fat and you need some psychological help, so beat it. And then he doesn't work at this place anymore. Did he get fired for being fat and wearing sweatpants? If you tip the scale at 200, you're out of here. We have a dress code. We then see Santa Scott on a treadmill and he's running and he looks like Kenny Rogers. His hair's grown out and his beard is all white and full. And then his doctor checks his pulse and listens to his heartbeat. And it sounds like jingle bells. And Scott says he gained 45 pounds in a week. And he says his beard grows back every day in full. And his doctor is dismissive of all of this. You know, Scott, Scott tells his doctor, hey man, I've got this giant tumor on my neck. You know what? It's just a love bump. You know, doctor, both of my feet are purple and they have no sense of touch happens to everybody. It's, you know what? It's part of the aging process. Doctor, I feel a phantom third arm in the middle of my chest. You know what happens to everyone? I have stigmata. You know what? Join the club, my friend. My bowel movements are much more frequent. And in fact, they happen every 10 minutes and they are almost 100% liquid. That is totally normal, Scott. You're just a middle-aged man, <laughs> and you are going through normal changes, you know? Yeah, as soon as his heart starts beating in time with jingle bells, that's the point where the mayo is called, and they've got, like, the E.T. tents around the entrance to cart him through so he doesn't infect <laughs> anyone else. So, uh, now we move to Charlie's soccer game the most unfortunate of childhood sports. And a young girl, 
in another uncomfortable moment in this film, corners Scott on the on the bench because he's, you know, getting fatter and he's getting the beer and all that stuff. And she starts telling him what she wants for Christmas. And then the next thing we see is a line forming. But this scene is funny to the audience because we are in on the joke. We know that he's becoming Santa Claus and that these children are instinctively drawn to him and that they are sitting on his lap and telling them telling him what they want for Christmas. And it's it's a funny moment for everyone who's not us in the audience, meaning the people in the movie, this guy's a creepy pedophile or the Pied Piper that's going to lure these children away to unspeakable horrors. So here's why I like this movie, Chad. Um, <laughs> a thing that we kind of glossed over in the in the scene where he got fired for being a fatty is the fact <laughs> that as they're talking about toy designs, um, it's... I, was it a, a Santa sleigh or something that had rocket launchers or some it was shit? Somebody at the at the fatty meeting um, with him eating cookies and sundays, they wanted to make a tank that had Santa Claus in mm. it. Which, first off, is a terrible toy because when are you going to sell that? What, 30 days out of the year? Right. We're running a business here, people. Right. Well, in addition to him getting a, a sweet tooth, uh, he also kind of rises to the defense of Santa. He's like, no, that's not Christmas. Why? You need to... Take all that away and that kind of thing. And so one of the reasons I like this movie is that it's ultimately a body horror film. It's kind of a Yuletide the Fly where you have a, a, a person unwillingly transforming into a totally different creature from Scott to Santa. And this is another one of those moments where whether Scott likes it or not, children are going to be drawn to him because he is undeniably, unavoidably, horrifyingly transforming into Santa Claus. Would this movie be better if Dave if Cronenberg it directed starred, it? <laughs> and it starred Billy Bob Thornton, where you're just like with his, you know, hints of his bad Santa character, where you have an individual that is thoroughly repulsed by the idea of being this character but there's nothing they could do to prevent it right i can't damn that would be a good movie i can't stop myself I, i've been giving people presents and i hate it <laughs> i hate myself right yeah right it would be so much better yeah this movie isn't that but this movie's not that this movie is bad in this scene the ex-wife uh, Charlie's mom, she accuses Scott of changing his physical appearance to make their son Charlie like Scott Moore, which, you know what, that sounds about right for these two. And honestly, I think that would even be a better movie if it was essentially about a delusional father who slowly gains weight to look like Santa Claus in an effort to make his child love him more. <laughs> in that case, I want Rob Zombie to direct it. And it's maybe called like the Santa curse or dirty, rotten scoundrel. This is, this is an uncomfortably awful, you know, a one hour photo esque movie of a delusional individual going down a path that is horribly dark, that clearly is going to not have the Disney moniker in front of it. We're <laughs> definitely going back to our, <laughs> what was it? Hollywood. <laughs> it was Hollywood video or. Oh yeah. Hollywood pictures. Yeah. No, I'll tell you, man, to slightly repackage this movie you're putting together. Cause I like it. You, uh, the director is Bobcat Goldthwait and Michael Shannon is the star. You got yourself gold I will, kid. I will give you a thousand dollars that I don't have 
to throw into the kettle of that Kickstarter. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Michael Shannon as a psychotic father transforming himself into Santa Claus to win the love of his estranged child, directed by the director of, you know, uh, Sleeping Dogs Lie and, uh, you know, World's Greatest Dad. Oh, yes. I'm going to up it to $2,000 that I don't have. Excellent. I'm going to, I'm, I'll get in touch with Bobcat. We'll, we'll put this together. All I've got to do is once I tell him the premise, he'll be like, this, this is, will be me making up for Shakes the Clown. <laughs> his only misstep in his cinematic career, if you ask me. The next scene, we see Scott and he receives a bunch of boxes from Federal Express that include the naughty and nice list. And he's really fat now. <sighs> then suddenly, it's fall, and Scott full-on looks like Santa Claus, and Santa Scott is walking down the street, and every child he passes, he automatically knows their name and whether or not they are naughty or nice. He sees a little girl named Susan, and he says, nice. And then a boy on a bike swerves and almost hits Scott, and he says, Billy, naughty. Then a thin blonde woman, and a, excuse me, then a thin adult blonde woman in a short miniskirt walks past, and he says, Veronica, very nice. And she responds, in your dream, Sleigh Boy. Sleigh Boy is an affront to God and man. Kids, on the way home, remind me to talk to you about acceptable levels of public sexual harassment. Because look, no means no, hashtag time's up, changing gender norms, RuPaul's drag race and the like. We're living in complicated times. Look, it's a teachable moment that we're seeing in this movie. But you know what? Let's wrap this up. I think at the end of this, we're all going to learn a lesson and we're going to feel better about ourselves. Kids, uh, it's probably a good time to put these two words together for you. Double standard. It's when we look at an old man like that say something just just awful to a young a young lady, and we just look the other way. It's like when your grandma talks about Puerto Ricans. But I, you know what I'm talking about, kids. Let, let, let's just watch. Let, let's watch this fat feller uh, go up to the North Pole. <laughs> it was fat. Fat feller that put me over the top. All all gildity lily you give me. (laughs) So we see uh, Scott making a last ditch effort to, you know, like his own personal Brundlefly museum that he's got in his bathroom where it's all the bags of clippings from the beards that he shaved daily that continue to grow back and mock him and the same thing happens he shaves and immediately grows back and then we we head over to uh neil and mom uh who've gone to a judge to remove visitation rights uh now now kids (laughs) visitation rights is is uh what your mom doesn't have after she tried to put them cigarettes out on you. You were young, and I don't want to bring it up in the middle of this perfectly fine piece of family entertainment. Let's just look back up at the screen. Kids, kids, there's a reason that your mom and her no-good son-of-a-bitch new husband, uh, Trevor, uh, cannot be within a 100 feet of our house. It's complicated, and it's judicial. It's kind of like if uh, Judge Judy was somehow combined with 
Quick's chocolate drink mix. I know that that's <laughs> difficult to understand, but when you're older, it will all make sense to you. Let's, you know what? Let's finish up this film because I love how his belly jiggles just like the real Santa Claus who doesn't exist. Why is your younger sister crying now? <laughs> oh, did I? Oh, my God, I've stepped in it yet again. I, Shit. I'll tell you what, I'm going to run to the concession stand, get some junior mints and some more popcorn, and we are going to put them some bitches right in that popcorn, kids. Let's do it. Not to mention, I'm going to step outside and, and uh, you know, smoke one real quick because I'm a little bit bored and I got to make a call. <laughs> I'm going I'm gonna to burn one down with a projectionist real fast. <laughs> <laughs> They're at this judge's office. And in all honesty, all judges uh, are more legitimate than Judge Reinhold, who plays this stuff. <laughs> you know? Well, and I, I've always wanted to, to, to know, not enough to ever look. Uh, if Judge Reinhold ever bothered to get a law degree, because how great would that be? I think that Judge Wapner is more legitimate than Judge Reinhold. I think that Judge Dredd, I think Judd Nelson, even <laughs> though his name isn't Judge, it's Judd. He is more legitimate. I, I think that that guy, Mark Judge, he might be worse than Judge Reinhold, but Mark Judge didn't have to testify openly, so the world's never going to know. But I'll tell you who's definitely better, Mike Judge. Oh, yes. Uh Mike Judge is unquestionably better. Uh Take that, Judge Reinhold. Yeah, up your butt with a (laughs) coconut. Outside this judge's office, the mom and and, uh, stepdad, Judge Reinhold, are sitting outside. And they start talking about how there isn't a Santa Claus. And and at what point they stop believing in Santa Claus. Do the makers of this movie not realize that there are children in the audience? It's unfathomable to me that you would be talking about this in a Santa Claus movie about, you know, what's full of shit. The idea of Santa. Yeah, fuck that guy. He's totally not real. Anyway, whatever. Hey, kids, what's going on? (laughs) Right. Oh, sorry. The movie and I were just talking amongst ourselves. Uh, We didn't realize you kids were here. What did, did you hear the thing about no Santa? Oh. Yeah. You know what else? You know what else we were thinking about talking about puberty? puberty we were going to talk about that and maybe how babies were made and maybe the appropriate age that you could start masturbating for both boys and girls when boys get boners and girls start touching themselves do you guys want to talk about that in this movie as soon as santa claus dies your body starts changing kids and until you truly (laughs) stamp out the last of your childhood magic you'll never (laughs) have what adults call an orgasm (laughs) And you're going to want that, kids. They're, <laughs> oof, quite good. So, you want to talk about that, maybe? About giving up all your childhood magic? Mom, Dad, I'm just going to go sit in the car. <laughs> you are going to watch this movie. We paid $45 to be in this theater. <laughs> and if it means the absolute <laughs> amputation of your sense of wonder, then so be it. <laughs> I am missing the voice. It's here that the mom says that when uh, she was a kid, she wrote Santa a letter every week that year, which, you know what? That's excessive. But you know what? Go on, crazy mom. And then she says um, in her most acting uh, performance, and she has stars in her eyes, and she tells this, you know, her guess her new husband, that she wanted this mystery date game and that she got dozens of presents that year. But she didn't get a mystery date. Which, you know what? Let's do the math on this. You wrote Santa a letter asking for the mystery date game (laughs) every week. You didn't get it. That means 
you were on the naughty list, and you were by most accounts a horrible child. You were clearly a horrible adult. Because remember, <laughs> your, your son is on the other side of the wall talking to a stranger who is determining if this small boy will no longer be allowed to see his father again, all at your doing. You are the real monster in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. You're 100% right. Um, also, if she had just saved all the money she spent on the stamps, I wonder if she could just bought her own damn mystery date game. She could have. Judge Reinhold says, he was like, the same thing happened to me. Um, when he was three years old, he said that he wanted an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle, but he didn't get it. Well, you know what? Dream big, kid. Christmas kind of came and went. And again, here's another, you know, shitless kid. Um and here's the thing. This movie establishes that Santa Claus is real. And these two adult assholes when they were kids didn't get jack shit. So here's the math. You plus your behavior equals nothing under the tree. Ergo, you were horrible children. It, that's how it works, right? Well, y yes, it does. But it begs the question, and I would have some lawyers look into this if I were them, of what constitutes a being a naughty kid. You know, it all depends on what your definition of naughty is, I think. Um, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go into this without a lawyer is what I'm saying. Scott shows up looking 100% full on like Santa Claus. And then Charlie comes out of this judge's office and he's like, dad, dad, I mean, Santa, um, I told them everything. It's going to be okay. And then the judge goes full doubt fired and just strips Scott of all of his visitation rights with his son, pending a hearing after the first of the year, which when did this become a custody move? When did we go like Kramer versus Santa on this? Yeah, it started around like uh, two scenes back. Like, we, we catch up to this pretty fast. But, it, yeah, it's when, you know, Mom and Neil are having the conversation about it. And then two scenes later, we're having the custody hearing. Well, then, as soon as his rights are stripped, we see Scott lurking around the house of his ex-wife. And he looks inside and he sees his son and his ex and her husband all having dinner together. So what does he do? He knocks on the door. And it's here that Santa Scott goes inside and Charlie schools his dad on a bunch of stuff that we already know or we don't need to know. And Scott looks inside that snow globe that we mentioned earlier. And it's here for some reason that he just kind of realizes that he's the real Santa, which you know what? What convinces him of this? Is it not the weight and the spontaneous excessive hair growth or the arrival of the naughty and nice list at his house. None of this was enough to convince him that he is the real Santa Claus. It took some sort of weird, magical teleportive visual device to make him realize, you know what? I think I might be Santa Claus. Yeah. I've put a flag uh, down for enjoying this movie several times tonight. This is not one of those times. This is fucking stupid. I don't know why this happens this way. It doesn't make any sense. It like it should have been. There should have been like using the snow globe as a mechanism of like, oh, when you see the animation of the sleigh, then that mean you know, you remember the magic or whatever. That would have been more effective if they had just put a finer point on what Scott truly believed. Because it's clear that he's Santa most of the time. You know, like when he's walking around, he's like listening to kids and he knows how to fill out the naughty and nice list. Like when the, he sh when the naughty and nice list showed up and he immediately was like, oh, that's a naughty person. I don't know how I know that, but I do. Oh, wait, I guess it's because I'm Santa. 
That's the only explanation for that. But earlier in the movie, when he first goes to the North Pole at Christmas Day a year ago, Bernard says, hey, man, you got a year or excuse me, you got 11 months to get your shit in order and you got to be back here by Thanksgiving. That doesn't happen. Because we're already at Christmas Eve, so why would they even introduce that if it doesn't have relevance? Other than the fact it's lazy writing and a poorly constructed plot and who gives a shit. Well, I think that was probably an editing thing. Because, you know, as we talked about in the intro, this movie was originally about two hours long. And they probably do address that at some point. But again, because the dictate came down, this movie needs to be cut except for every scene with Tim Allen. You know, there's probably shit that you missed. I would love to see a, a director's cut of this film and tell the people who offered it to me, no, thank you. I don't want to see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was about to ask. This sounds like bullshit. This sounds like some real Tim Allen kind of BS. Um, Scott, I, I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Scott Clavin. Um, Calvin. Whatever. It's Scott Calvin. Cliff Clavin. It's Tim <laughs> Allen. It doesn't matter what his name is in the movie. And anyway, so um, he now There's believes, some fins to the left of me and some fins to the right of me. I hope y'all have some stanky breath because I got some what is that? juicy fruit and grapefruits. <laughs> Everybody get out your razors. We're going to make us some pencil-thin mustaches tonight. Thank you, Costa Rica. Mothers, mothers, calm your children. (laughs) What day is it? And am I erect? Because I come Monday. (laughs) You know what? Much like the idea of introducing the concept that there, that Santa Claus is not a real thing, <laughs> the fact that you have have ruined the song "Come Monday Forever" is something that I owe you five. <laughs> oh, because so that's happy. called a bribe, and I've learned about greasing the wheels of social contracts from this horrible, horrible movie. Kids, see right there. That's just learning a lesson. Just something to look up to. Um. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so good. I'm like I'm gonna be doing Scott, that forever now. Scott Scott tells his kid that he can't go on this all night sleigh ride, and that Charlie has to stay with his mom. And before we can logically explain all of this away, Bernard, the overgrown elf from the mafia, is magically in the house. To kind of get things going. <laughs> yeah, he comes out eating a sandwich like, yeah, uh, I was just stopping by. I noticed you had a nice prosciutto in your refrigerator. Uh, what's going on here? Do, look, we need to get out of here, you crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> you got some broccoli, Rob. Some gabagool. You know, <laughs> we're going to make it happen, all right? I'll tell you what. You get the kid. We get the presents. We get the sled. Bada bing, bada boom. We're going to have a good Christmas. Let me ask you a question. Did you see him here tonight? Did you see me here tonight? You didn't see nothing, right? You didn't see nothing. To Judge Reinhold, like, hey, you see an elf tonight? No? That's fucking right you didn't see an elf tonight. What about you, pretty lady? What about you, Legs? You see an elf tonight? No, you didn't. Good job. Kid, you get in the sleigh. Santa, you know where you belong. All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. We're getting the fuck out of here. Remember what I said. 
But the mom comes back and she's having none of that because Scott and her kid are gone. So logically, what does she do? She calls the police and an APB is put out for Scott on Christmas Eve, which this movie now turns into a child abduction film or maybe a hostage situation. I don't know which way it's going to go. Why would we continue with this storyline when we can just go to a different movie for a little bit where we're Please. we're suddenly in the North Pole and we've got... A legitimate Santa's Q named Quentin, who's like, welcome back to the North Pole, Santa. We've been working on some gadgets for you. Come right this way. We have f- this flame retardant suit for those extra hot, uh, extra hot chimneys. Quite good, eh, Santa? I hope you're paying attention, Santa. This is important. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just like, what are we doing in this movie? Why are we throwing on the brakes to have a James Bond joke when none of this means nothing? Excuse me, where's Judy Penny, the 1,200-year-old elf? I'd like to give her a taste of my mind. Wait, was that too far? She looks like a child. She's an adult, right? So you're saying I'm Shanta. I run this place. Find the elf in rapping that Judy's been seeing. I want him killed. <laughs> Send Judy to my quarters. That's so gross. There's a new Shanta <laughs> at the in town. Scene- <laughs> at this scene at the North Pole, they start playing... ZZ top sharp dressed man and they do this little weird dance scene and it's just like just will you stop it and then back in the real world we see a bunch of police officers just brutally arresting random Santas <laughs> and <laughs> yeah I really like that too <laughs> Judge Reinhold puts up Charlie's stocking on the fireplace mantle because he's been gone for a couple of minutes then we see the mom and she's at this lineup of Santas that have all been arrested uh, looking for her ex-husband. And in this lineup, there's a black Santa and there's also a little person Santa, which why are they even in the lineup? You know what? Look, I get why, but why are they in the lineup? Yeah. Now, this is all unnecessary. Like, <laughs> I, I know that the runtime on the, well, no, we've still got, what, an hour 40-ish? on this movie like we can cut this out overly bloated yeah we could get rid of this think about all the stuff think about how much they left on the cutter before this thing was two hours and this is what we got left thank god right what the is this fucking masada santa scott and charlie are delivering presents are delivering presents and santa scott goes back to that little girl from last year that he told to shut up um, and this time he's nice to her and he drinks her milk and she says it's soy milk. Cause I remember last year, the milk you drink gave you explosive diarrhea and it's as close to a sweet moment in this movie as you are going to find. I, and I I'll like give this it, movie yeah. credit. It is really sweet. The actress who plays the little girl sells it. Well, seeing Tim Allen as the, you know, jolly fat Santa with the beard and the whole look, there is a very just nice moment between the two of them and it's it's really done well the rest of the movie is total garbage um because the next scene santa scott and charlie go back to his mom's house which why would this not be literally the last house that you would visit on your run which i'm sure there's a route that they take to save time and get around the whole world but why would you stop back at your own house because in this case it's full of cops And it's here that Santa Scott goes over to the tree and the boys in blue arrest him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They arrest Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And you know, Bernard is just (laughs) like, 
Oh, Charlie, you fucking loose lip motherfucker. You set up Santa. You're going down, you motherfucker. I, I, again, another scene I really like where it's like, man, how many Christmas films uh, do you see Santa get busted? You know, not enough, if you ask me. Santa gets drug outside for a perp walk and the entire neighborhood is watching. And Santa Scott is put in the back of a police cruiser in front of a bunch of children. You know what? Tick tock. What is going on in this movie? What time of day is it? Is it 8 p.m.? Is it 3 in the morning? What happened to the reindeer on the, the top of the house? None of this is explained. It's just like, you know what? He gets arrested. He's going to jail. These are important details to me. Well, Chad, I saw all of those things. Apparently, you have to believe it to see it. <laughs> so back at the North Pole, the ELFS's Effective Liberating Flight Squad. Mm -hmm. Please, just stop. It's my favorite new Sentai show. <laughs> They're sent out to rescue Santa. And they all take off flying in the air like General Zod and Ursa and Nan from Superman 2. It's a real... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although seeing a bunch of kids in military uniforms reminds me that I want a Bugsy Malone style version of Platoon. I thought you were going to say World War II. No, just Platoon. <laughs> Back at the police headquarters, the cops are shaking down Santa Scott with some real good cop, bad cop action. The rescue squad show up and uh, they find Charlie sitting on the roof of the house. So. You know, nobody went up there to look for this kid. Their dad, you know, comes down the chimney, but we don't do a full sweep of the house inside and out to look for this child, which it seems like the parents are more concerned about making sure that Santa Scott gets his and not the safety of their missing child. The rescue elf squad flies off the roof with Charlie in hand. And there's a moment where the main rescue elf tells Charlie, don't ever try this without elf supervision. And it's a real cover your ass moment from the legal department <laughs> of whoever made this movie. Right. Because <laughs> you can't just stop the movie and have somebody like pop up on like a max headroom. Like, remember, kids, you can't fly. You can't fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the rescue squad and Charlie all head over to police headquarters where Santa's being held. I, I have to say, uh, not since Salem's Lot. Has there been a more terrifying group of flying, giggling children in a in a film? I don't know if you remember this particular childhood nightmare of the 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 flying vampire kids from Salem's Lot. I'm scratching my head trying to think if there's if there's a more frightening version of flying children. Mm, I can't think of one. You see a bunch of kids decked out like Che Guevara flying at you, laughing. See, kids. Also, you can spontaneously shit yourself it will happen in the depths of fright uh <laughs> like like when your your brother saw that possum at night anyway we'll talk about it later let's wrap this movie up it seems real good <laughs> so yeah so the flying giggling children after terrorizing this poor cop um they just decide to bust into the police station and they tie up a guard and shove a donut in his mouth. I'm surprised they didn't waterboard him, too. Uh, as they're <laughs> in the process of springing claws from jail. Where it's just like, look, we gotta go the mattresses on this one, folks. Alright, they got Santa in prison. I know we're not supposed to reveal ourselves. But tonight, you gotta bleed the cop. You take him out. Alright? He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. Tonight, it's all elf. <laughs> in the front door walks uh, Charlie and Santa Scott... And in this scene, you know, back at the house, 
stepdad, Judge Reinhold, he he runs around the corner and he just hugs Charlie, like when they bring him back home. And then the mom is like a few steps behind. She seems a little less excited and she sort of casually saunters in the room like, hey, great, my kid's back. At this point, Santa Scott comes up and he picks up his hat that was left behind before he got arrested. And he says, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, because you two dipshits lock me up. And he tells Charlie to stay with his mom and stepdad because uh, because they now believe that, you know, Santa Scott is the real Santa Claus because I guess he escaped jail or something. Yeah, Charlie starts crying because he didn't get, he doesn't get to go with Santa Scott on his deliveries. And his dad says he's selfish if he goes or something else and pretending to be a touching moment. It, none of it works. And here's the thing. Does this kid only love his dad now that he's Santa Claus? Because earlier he was just a piece of shit. But now he's Santa, so I gotta love that guy, right? Right. Yeah, it's the transitive property of love. I don't love my father, but I do love Santa. But if Santa is my father, then I kind of love my father. (laughs) The mom and stepdad now believe that Scott is actually the real Santa Claus after he gives them the two shitty gifts that they wanted when they were kids and they were horrible. But he delivers it via a miniature parachute, which is a way I wish I could give gifts in general. I just don't have that kind of altitude on a daily basis. Where it's just like, hey, I got you something, poof, (laughs) you know, and watch it float gently down into their hands. I think that would be wonderful. That's how I would like to give um, feedback to other people or just bad news. (laughs) Oh, wow. Look how delightful. It's a little a little scroll tied to a parachute floating ever so gently down on the heaven kissed breeze. (laughs) What? I have colon cancer. Shit, that is the most adorable way to hear that ever. Oh, here comes another. At this point. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Your breath stinks. Oh. God damn it. Oof. Felt like that was going to be worse. These the, these parachutes are adorable, if that's all they have to say. At this point in the movie, the mom is like, you know what? I'm going to just burn up these custody papers because you know what? Who cares? Holiday magic. Right, that's also not how that works. Like that's your copy. You know that's that's on file. Hold on a moment. Somewhere. Hold on. Hold on a minute. In those papers, it says, "I do not want my ex-husband to have visitation with my son because he is pretending to be Santa Claus." But then she's like, "You know what? He really is Santa Claus. So I'm going to burn it up." Like you can't have it both ways, right? At that, if you're the judge, you're like, "Oh my God, he's starting a Santa cult." Mothers, mothers, <laughs> call me chill. You know what? We are terrible people. Really interested. No, you know, you know what we're really interested in when it comes to this podcast: recycle <laughs> and also, you know, mass suicide. Apparently, in equal measure. At this point, all the cops just like rush the the exterior of the house for the second time that day, and there are at least like thirty officers in full tactical gear, and the whole neighborhood comes out to see what the hell's going on, which they as they should. The mom comes out and she says, "Hey, no, we're good." And then the sleigh flies over the house, and off Santa Scott goes, and some kids outside seeing Santa off to safety. They're actually elves, and you can tell by their Vulcan ears, which you know what? Maybe this is their chance to escape from freedom from this horrible. Uh, Mola Rom dungeon of doom that they're forced to work in. Especially after and they saw what happened to the elf from rapping. 
<laughs> we have to be free. Free. <laughs> None of the cops outside try to shoot down the sleigh. They're just like, oh, <laughs> right. um, Charlie tells his stepdad, Judge Reinhold, that he thinks that he will go into the family business, meaning that he's going to kill his father and become Santa Claus. Right. I need to be with either that or I need to be with him at all times so that when he dies of natural causes and or accident, then I'm there. <laughs> Fake snow starts to fall and we see Charlie shaking up and looking into his snow globe. And then his dad, Santa Scott, comes floating down from the sky and he says, what? I've been gone 10 minutes and you already miss me? 10 minutes? Really? This guy has a job to do. Does nobody understand that time and speed is important in this line of business? Look, time is money. Money is power. You said that opium was money. Money is money. What is time again? I still love all that shit, man. See, kids, uh, what they do is it's called a callback. It's when they make a joke, and it's the same joke as one they made before. Preferably, the more time you can put between the first time you say it and the next time, <laughs> it's a, kind of funnier. It's a whole comedy thing. Uh, kids, let's just watch this perfectly charming Christmas classic. <laughs> oh my god that was way better than i expected he's like yeah what the fuck do you want charlie and he's like uh well i just wanted to see if you would come and he's like well that's fucked up i gotta deliver all these kid these presents to kids and um then he's like well can i go with dad to you know the mom who's like hey I, I believe now yeah but but santa scott asks he's like hey charlie do you want to go with me on a sleigh ride he's like because if you do you gotta ask your mom which look man that is a classic dick move of a divorced parent you offer up the goods but you make your ex decide if you get to be the hero or if they have to be the bad guy it's a win-win for the one offering up this proposition yeah it's an amazing stealth move um and then the mom says yeah it's okay but then she immediately gets all mouthy as santa scott and charlie fly off and she's barking orders that they shouldn't go over any oceans and don't go too fast and the last lines of the movie are scott scott which how did we not get a it, well it's at the end it, of this movie. I, I thought it was scott and then santa it doesn't matter she's nagging the shit right out it's like why are you so upset when you just like this has happened before like if you've accepted the fact that he's actually santa claus you should now feel safer i would think with uh with the kid flying around in the sleigh which he has already done to your knowledge but how did you not get a it's no at the end of this movie fantastic question i have no idea um unless that somebody just had the 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 sheer restraint and it's hard to imagine that that was just like you know what that's too much we're trying to do we're trying to make a christmas classic people and we don't want to date it so we got a couple of grunts here and there for the people that are looking for it but in general it's not grunt heavy there i expected more grunts in this movie than there were i had a lot of grunts that I made watching this movie. But they they weren't Tim Allen grunts. No. It was like, oh, God. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, they, were, they were more Carol O'Connor grunts than Tim Allen grunts. Mine were more the Charlie size, like right when his mom's about to leave. It's, <sighs> Let me ask you this. Yes. Have you ever seen the Santa Claus 2 or the Santa Claus 3? No, I have not. I... 
Yeah, I barely like this one. Like this one, I I can tolerate. It's it's kind of fine. Like I I don't like Tim Allen in this, but I like him more than I feel like I should. Almost, I just get tired of the 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 tool time shtick. But overall, I think he he's fairly okay in it. And yeah, it's not a great movie. I don't want to I don't want to land on it that way. But it's it's entertaining enough it goes by pretty quickly uh, you know i there are a couple that mary gross line i think is legitimately funny and yeah it's it, it's a weird movie because of all the belief stuff and the divorce stuff and that kind of thing and and maybe i'm just drawn to it because it is like this kind of oddball dark kind of christmas movie uh even though it doesn't seem that way but you scratch the surface just a little bit and it's a, a little bit depressing uh kind of like mrs doubtfire is you know where it's like this movie's kind of sad i would agree with that 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 is a it, they definitely live in the same neighborhood those two movies as we've gone through this season and you and i talked about it you know like hey how can we do a holiday season and we pick the six movies that we're going to do. The thing that I found is just under a little bit of scrutiny, none of these movies are as wholesome as you want them to be. And, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about is, you know, maybe as we get to the last uh, the last two episodes of really talking about movies that we feel are, you know, true Christmas classics that are that are quality, wholesome family uh, films that you would want to sit down with, you know, from grandparents to parents to children. And you're like, these are really solid movies. Everything that we've seen this season just are riddled with warts and uncomfortable moments that you would not want to watch across multiple generations as a holiday piece of entertainment. They're just, they're uncomfortable and difficult and they have subject matter that is just way too complicated for traditional holiday family fare. I would say even It's a Wonderful Life though has a naked Donna Reed in a bush for a portion of that film where you're like, really? Um, and suicide dead war heroes george george bailey uh no no harry bailey didn't exist every man aboard that that carrier died that day even those movies are like fuck an entire carrier of people died and it's a wonderful life in theory in the magic world but yeah it i don't know i think the finale without tipping our, our hand too much uh, the finale is that kind of wholesome, this is very kid-oriented kind of film. The, I, I would say the one that we have coming up is another one that's just like, really? You know what, Bo? I, I need to sincerely apologize. The For the last 60 seconds, I've been thinking about a naked Donna Reed in a bush. I'm telling you, man. Donna Reed and It's a Wonderful Life. Fuck. I, look, hubba, hubba. I, I, could, like, I have an uncomfortable relationship with the Donna Reed show to this day. Where when I watch it, I'm just like, God, Donna Reed, there is something so sexy about her. And then I get lost, and I'm like, this is a 50 sitcom. This is like the most intentionally wholesome thing on the planet. And I'm thinking about fucking Donna Reed the entire time. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of fucking Donna uh -huh. Reed, um, in, in our next you episode... You can go to her website, we <laughs> Buffalo Gal, what you put out tonight, dot com. Our next episode... Of this incredibly uncomfortable, erotic season. <laughs> the most erotic film of all. <laughs> you won't believe it. It should have starred Shannon Tweed. We, we are going to be spending a little bit of time home alone. The cinematic classic from 1990 that was 
a juggernaut. It was as big as a movie can get. It had a massive impact on um, multiple other movies, really impacting their overall box office draw and, you know, spawned quite a few sequels. It inspired quite a few careers and is a very interesting movie with a lot of complicated history around how it was made and just sort of the the impact that it had related to the the actors that were in it the 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 writers the directors um and just across the board so i'm looking forward to having that discussion and delving into home alone quite possibly the most successful movie financially that we will be discussing this season much more so than the finale because the finale it did not make a whole lot of no but it is so good oh it's so good (laughs) um in in the kind of way that this show deserves you know um but (laughs) home alone it like welcome to the show daniel stern that to me chuds daniel stern makes his first appearance uh on pick six movies and and i hope it's not the last i love daniel stern to no end and i like i haven't seen home alone in easily 20 years so i don't really yeah that is that is that is amazing to me because i especially because i have a young son i watch that movie every single year and i definitely have an opinion on it i cannot wait to share it with you and our listening audience so please come back next week, um, <laughs> like, rate, review, share, um, let us know what you thought, drop us an email, send us a comment, you know how the internet works, because next week we're going to come back and we are going to talk through one of the most beloved holiday classics that, uh, that exist, um, you know, in the pantheon of Christmas movies. So, Bo, any parting thoughts on uh, the Santa Claus? Well, get out your toolbox, your bottle of tequila, because we're going to get drunk and screw everybody. Kids, let me ask you. <laughs> Look, I know that there were a lot of things I brought up, but here's the question I really want to know. Who do you love more, me or your mom? <laughs> can, I, can I just have a cheeseburger, Dad? Answer... Of the question. You if you'll feed me. Hold on, I'm on a pull into McDonald's. You answered correctly. <laughs> Teachable moment. <laughs> Food equals love, got it. We'll see you next week on Big Six Movies. <laughs> <laughs>